last time we thought about the Samaritan woman, didn't we? Uh, and she was impressed by Jesus' knowledge, his prophetic knowledge, but his theological knowledge. Uh, and that opened up a dialogue for them. And she put her trust in Jesus. And when she did that, her faith grew. When she put her trust in Jesus, her faith grew. And it transformed her. And it transformed her entire community. Wow. Time with Jesus brought transformation. That's my summary of last week. Time with Jesus brought transformation. This time, we're looking at the Roman centurion. And he was impressed, but he was impressed by Jesus' authority. The centurion put his trust in Jesus, and his servant was healed. Hope in Jesus brought healing. Hope in Jesus brought healing. You'll probably learn, I like to give you the conclusion at the beginning, um, just so that we try to remember. We try to remember what the purpose is. Hope in Jesus brought healing. When I was in my early 20s, um, a good friend of mine, he was a rector in the Anglican church, and... Um, he, uh, he recommended a book. Uh, you probably have all heard of the book. It was by Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. The Power of Positive Thinking. I think he was trying to tell me that I was a bit negative. Uh, but he did it very politely. <laughs> I think what I found was I got myself into a bit of a rut in my thinking. Um, I started to feel negative and I stopped imagining that God would do wonderful things in my life. I limited God's capacity to change things that I was not happy with. And my friend gave me this book to read and some people might class it as a self-help book, but the author was a minister and he referred to lots of scriptures that helped to transform the way I was feeling and thinking. Suddenly, after reading the book, I started to have faith, belief that actually Jesus can change things in my life. And it had a really profound effect on me because I started to pray differently. My expectations were raised. I could see suddenly that anything was possible in Christ. And um, at the time, uh, it's a bit embarrassing to admit this, but I struggled with singleness. And um, I feel I have to share this because it's part of the story. And I had prayed for a long time that I would find somebody to marry. And, um, and uh, it didn't happen. And uh, I felt very frustrated. And so I think that's why my cynicism set in. And at that point, my friend recommended this book to me. And then shortly after reading that book, um, I was encouraged to go to Lee Abbey, which is a Christian community in North Devon, as you know, most of you know. And there I served uh, on the house team and as a pastor for two years. And... Um, 
initially I went for my interview and I thought it was okay. I thought it was quite an intense lifestyle, but I thought it was okay. And uh, after my three-day interview, I decided that I wouldn't go to Lee Abbey after all. Actually, uh, I'd rather carry on working in Cornwall doing what I was doing. And then um, I got talking to a colleague about this opportunity that I had had because I'd been offered a place and I turned it down. And I don't think he had a faith, but he said to me, you are absolutely insane not to go to Lee Abbey. It sounds like a wonderful opportunity. And so that planted a seed in my heart that actually I think I'd made a mistake. And so after three months, I phoned Lee Abbey back and I said, would you have me back? I know I said no, but would you have me back? I've changed my mind. And they did. They took me back and they had me join community. And to cut a very long story short, it really propelled me into all the things that I had done, uh, moved on to do. But one very, very significant thing that it led to was meeting Hannah, my wife, and marrying her and having children. Let's trust in Jesus because he wants to transform our situations. And I know that is true for my life. He's always transformed my situations. <clears throat> and I just share that with you as an opportunity for me to be vulnerable with you and to get to know me. And um, let's think for a minute what simply trusting in Jesus might look like. Imagine how different your life might look like if you possessed an absolute and unrelenting confidence in God. How differently would you respond to difficulties and temptations if you had absolute trust and confidence in Jesus. It's easier to trust when things are going well. But what if, when bad things happened, you were confident that God would bring good out of it? Every time I read the Bible, every time, I find I'm always reminded of the simple call that we have to trust in Jesus with our lives. I don't believe faith is something that is quantifiable. I don't believe there is a formula to faith. But I do believe we are simply asked to trust in him. Faith begins with a simple move towards Jesus. Now let's, uh, let's move back to our passage from Matthew's gospel, not John's. And let's think about this centurion for a moment. Actually, for quite a few moments. It's quite a long bit of the sermon. But the imperial Roman centurion, a man of prestige and power. Imperial Roman centurions were often described as the finest military men in the Roman army. And they were its backbone. So what was the criteria to become a centurion, you ask? They had to be Italian by birth. They had to be Roman citizens. And they are often men from the common population. They could not, sorry, they could only be appointed by the emperor of Rome and they were not appointed by the Roman Senate. They were special men. 
They had to have devoted their lives to the military as soldiers. They were battle-hardened and highly skilled in the discipline of war. Centurion commander was the highest position an ordinary soldier could expect to attain. It was also the lowest position a high-ranking officer could hold. Military men either side of the military classes placed their confidence and their trust in their centurions. They were men of character. What was their function? A legion contained 6,000 highly trained soldiers and it was divided into 60 centuries containing 100 men. In command of each century was a centurion. They led 100 men in battle. They were responsible for the discipline in the regiment, drilling, training, and inspecting the troops. They kept standards high and punished complacency. They were, in a sense, the cement that held the Roman army together. They were responsible for keeping morale high in peacetime and in wartime. But sometimes they were dispatched for specific assignments because not only were they trusted in battle, they were trusted with a wide variety of other tasks. So what character qualities were essential for the Roman centurion? The ability to command men on and off the battlefield, composure and reliability during conflict, readiness to hold their ground when pressed hard and be willing to die at their posts if necessary. They were not danger seekers who jeopardized ground or men for vanity or fame. They fully embraced and embodied Roman ideals for conquest and colonization. And the full might of Rome was behind them. Rome placed its confidence in their abilities. Although they were distinguished men, their lives had been full of violence, as their purpose had been to enforce the Pax Romana, the peace in the empire, a peace often obtained by bloodshed. Their men had unfaltering confidence in them. That gives you a picture of what it meant to be a centurion. This was not a nine-to-five job that you could dip in and out of. This was a calling. This was a vocation. This was a serious, serious job. So let's think about the um, centurion in the story today. And let's think about his slave, his servant. In the Roman Empire, slaves didn't usually matter. Consequently, they were often victims of cruelty and abuses. They were seen as possessions to be exploited, not as people to be valued. However, the centurion did not hold this view of his servant. He was depicted as an honourable man in the text. 
He had authority, power, and wealth, and yet he cared for the welfare of his servant and wanted to do everything he could to make his servant well. We would all agree, I'm sure, that he was a compassionate man. Let's think about him. He was an extraordinary man because because of his attitude and his faith. He had every reason to be a proud man. He wore an impressive uniform that demanded respect and symbolized the world's greatest power at the time. He had prestige, but he humbled himself and reached out to Jesus to heal his servant. The problem was he was a Gentile. That was the problem. And according to Jewish law, Jesus was forbidden to enter his house. Gentile premises were considered unclean, especially the houses of Roman soldiers. Rome was the pagan, military, occupying force that the Jewish nation colluded with, but hated. Amid this religious, political, and ethnical context, Jesus insisted that he should go to his house to heal his servant. Jesus' response tested the centurion's faith. How? How did the centurion react to Jesus' request? He said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Jesus was moved by the centurion's tender-hearted love towards his servant, and he wanted to help, despite objections from the religious authorities and the rules laid down in the law. Jesus seems especially near, in my observation, to those who love and care for others, and he is especially close to those who are suffering. And he wanted to help. So why was the centurion reluctant to invite Jesus home? Because he understood the Jewish culture. He lived there. He was adamant that he was not worthy for Jesus to enter his house. The centurion had been a professional killer. And he represented the pagan empire. He knew that he was seen as a sinner, a dog, and unworthy of receiving any help from a Jew. But he identified and he saw that Jesus had power and authority. And he said to him, I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard him, he marveled at him. He was amazed. Why was he amazed? The centurion had probably been watching him, and he believed that all Jesus had to do was speak one word of command, and that command would be obeyed. 
He understood how authority worked. He himself was under authority and he had soldiers under his authority. And he knew that Jesus had authority over sickness and diseases. And he recognized that he had been given authority from a higher power, God the Father. Most healings happened by physical touch. The centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant by simply giving the command. And we see the centurion exercising faith in Jesus, in his goodness, and in his divine nature. You see, physical healing without physical touch was beyond belief in the culture, but not for the Roman centurion. Religious tradition anticipated that when the Messiah would arrive, the Jewish nation would sit at the messianic banquet. They never conceived of the idea that any Gentile would be welcome. It was assumed that in that day, the Gentile nations would be annihilated. They would have no part to play in God's presence. And now, here is Jesus declaring that many would come from east and west and sit down at the banquet in company with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In essence, he was saying the divine promises of God are made available to all. As Jesus often does, he challenges his listeners. And Jesus was challenging the culture by his scandalous inclusivity. We miss it because we don't understand. He was being scandalous. He was including people that should not have been included. They were unclean. They were dogs. Jesus doesn't see them in that way. He doesn't see us in that way. He loves us. Jesus was teaching that ethnic background and country of origin was not the passport to God's presence. This had been a gross misunderstanding. The passport to God's presence was and is faith, simply trusting in Jesus. The Roman centurion showed faith in him and his commendation of this Gentile man was a strong rebuke to all of those who had claimed to be religious, but whose faith was pitiful. The centurion recognized Jesus's messianic identity. And Jesus was fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah had spoken about him. He said, he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And my reflection upon that is this. Jesus is the possession of every man, woman, and child. Jesus is the possession of every man, woman, and child in every person whose heart, in whose heart there is faith. Jesus is the possession of every man, woman, and child in every person in whose heart there is faith.
Trust in him. He will live in your heart. Okay, this is the bit that we call praxis. This is the application that we take from what we've learnt. The Roman centurion had no acceptable religious background. Yet he placed uh, his trust in the authority of Jesus. And he outshone the faith of anyone in all of Israel. Just imagine if people like the centurion came to us today for help. Because they saw the authority that we had in Jesus' name. We are not standard bearers carrying a banner with an image of an empire. No. We carry Christ. We have access to him through the Holy Spirit. And we have authority over sickness and disease. And all things, all things that seek to prevent the growth of the kingdom, we have authority over. And we receive this authority when we place our confidence in Jesus and his goodness. The centurion put his trust in Jesus and his servant was healed through his power. Hope in Jesus brought healing. Hope in Jesus brought healing. I want you to remember this. You have authority to bring healing and wholeness to a hurting world. Keep trusting in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we receive more of your Holy Spirit. That we may grasp that we have authority in your presence to do wonderful things in your name. Lord, that we can do incredible things because you give us strength and you equip us. Pray for my friends today that you will grow their faith, that they may continue to surrender their lives to you and that you give them confidence in your love for them. In Jesus' name. Amen.